As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. We have got a packed, packed episode for you today. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today, I've got two friends here to preview the Eastern Conference of Major League Soccer. The season starts this weekend. We're going to be talking about the Eastern Conference today, the Western Conference tomorrow. Uh, Up first, a man who does not live in the area of the Eastern Conference. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, I, I don't live in the area of the Eastern Conference. The fact that there are two leagues in this league, how many leagues are in this league is my question with MLS, <laughs> how many teams are in this league as, as well. Um, it really shouldn't surprise me because we talk about this a lot, but there are a lot of teams in MLS and it, it was when I was doing a review of every kit for 2023, which will be published on Backheeled this week. Plug, plug. Yeah. Did I do that right, Joe? Did I do that right? Good job, um, yeah, Good job. it was only when I was doing that that I realized once again how many teams there are in this gig- gigantic league. So maybe we'll have to keep it moving today. Keep it moving to fit all 15 teams in the East into this episode. And that was a tight 11,000 word article, I'm assuming? About that, yeah, <laughs> roughly. Joe, how many words were in it? It wasn't. It wasn't eleven thousand, but it it was a lot of words, and it's also very good. It's up right now. Grandma, Graham roasted some folks, and and was generally very nice about a group of kits that I think is really good. And I'm glad that Graham thinks it's good too, because I never really know if a kit is good until Graham says it's good. Uh, that voice you just heard is Mr. Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hey, Taylor. I am. I mean, I am, I'm pumped for today's episode. There are too many teams in MLS. I think everyone in the entire world can agree on that. Um, but I wait 364 days for this show after we finish the second half yeah. of the preview from the previous year. I woke up today genuinely amped. I love this, this ridiculous league. It's fun. I'm excited for the season to start. I will need some sort of pick me up by the time May rolls around because there are way too many games and way too many teams as yep. we've already established. But yep. I am, I'm excited, fellas. This I, is fun. This is my favorite thing. Let's do it. I just imagine Joe waking up this morning excitedly, yep. home alone music, running about. This is his Christmas. How did you know I did Joe, not to put you on blast here, but you didn't get like an MLS influencer box, did you? Did you come down the bounding down the stairs to an influencer box, like coming down the chimney? 
I I actually did, but I didn't yes. tweet about it. Yes. Um, so I didn't. I, I think I was in like the fifth wave. Um, definitely not the first wave. Definitely not the second wave. I had given up hope a long time. It was sort of starting to uh, starting to just resign myself to my fate. But at the end of last week, I, I did get a, a nice little shiny box. What was in um, the box? What was in so the box? There's there's a little Apple TV in the box, which is which is nice. There was a, an Apple MLS scarf, which I mean that's like a, a must have, right? Got the to. Apple MLS scarf, and then a, an Apple MLS T-shirt that is not in my size. So that's not to say I'm not grateful because I am, but uh, yeah, I got the box. It was a nice box. I am I'm thankful. It, it's okay, Joe. The the T-shirt that doesn't fit you, you can just flog that to Rob Lowe. I'm sure he'll pay a lot for that. <laughs> that's what I really want is the is the hat. I've started to wear more hats recently. My hair's getting a little bit longer yep. too, so I feel like it works. That's the hat that I, I feel like I really need. Maybe less so the, the Apple MLS shirt, whatever it was. <laughs> Joe, you, you may have just answered it, and it's not like we have a ton of stuff to get to, but let, let's spend some time talking about merch and swag for a second. Because it is the case that I think a lot of MLS stuff, especially All-Star games, you will get different little gifts. I think in Orlando there was a round towel. I think I got a, a blanket once. What is your most utilized piece of swag you've gotten? Is it the hat? Is it already that well used? Uh, so, so I don't have a, a hat that's uh, related to any swag stuff. Taylor, oh. we talked about this a bit in Brooklyn. I, I've never received like a piece of swag at an MLS event before. Now, granted, sometimes I'm coming a little bit late, but I've been to I've been to one All Star game and three MLS Cups, and I have I have yet to leave one of those with a piece of swag. I've, I've yet to be handed one. So this box is is really my first experience in that front. So. I just don't have a good answer for you. I guess it's the scarf that's going to keep me warm in Arizona's cold winter months. I'm not really sure what we're at here. And is there is there any chance that in that swag box was a new laptop, just in case things go south for Graham? <laughs> no, <laughs> sadly not, Graham. Yeah, we, are, that, we are thrilled that, way. that you're back with us today. Um, if you want to give the listeners a quick update on your laptop <laughs> situation, I feel like a lot of them have been waiting with bated breath. Yeah, so I'm back. Uh, the laptop isn't back. Back, no. It's sitting in a, in a bag of rice right now. No, just kidding. It's at the Apple store awaiting a new keyboard with less than half a cup of green tea within it. Hopefully the new one won't have that feature. So yes, it will be salvaged, but I will not get it back until later in the week. I would very much accept a new laptop from, from uh, MLS or Apple if they're, uh, if they're sending them out. The best, the best kind of free freebie I've ever had was on that trip to Portland that I never talk about um, and I got the Portland Timbers gave me a shirt with my name on the back of it and then they took us into the Adidas shop at Adidas's North American headquarters which is in Portland and they told us we could have whatever we uh, whatever we wanted and I was I, w- I was a, a, with a group wow. of journalists and there were people just with like trolleys like two trolleys pushing through this this store like picking up years supply worth of stuff like years supply worth of shoes but, when yeah, you say people good. You mean yourself, correct? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> yeah. thought. All right. I had the trolley so stacked. People, yeah. <laughs> people, quote unquote. Uh, and then final thing that, like, in the introduction, my, my interest has been piqued. So, Graham, you wrote a piece for, for Backyield about uh, the 2023 kits. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, earmuff it for a second. Joe, what's it like to edit a, a piece by Graham Ruffin? <laughs> how, how, much, how much back and forth was there? No, no, well, no, no back and forth with Graham. Graham did a really good job. Graham's really easy to edit. The only, the only main thing I had to change is he spells all these different words wrong, like yeah. color and, and organized. And, uh, there's oh. a few other ones in there that I was like, I didn't even yeah. realize that British people spelled this word differently. I thought about leaving them all in as like the extra Scottish flavor, but Graham got to talk about tartan and, and plaid in there. And he also used the phrase Scottish bowling club. So I figured there was enough like Scottishisms weaved <laughs> yeah. in there already that I didn't need to leave the spelling in there. 
Can we talk about the fact that we, we <laughs> the way we prep for shows, we will preview the Eastern Conference at some point. Uh, I have to say that I do not love that we have the shared documents for each episode where we go through and we sort of outline what we're going to talk about or put in the, the things we want to put in. And of late, Google Drive, whenever there's a shared document, corrects my spelling. So I think I wrote like labor the other day and it was, and it asked me if I wanted to spell it L-A-B. It wrote it as incorrect. Labor. And yeah, exactly. I was like, no, 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 no. Just because Ryan Bailey created this document does not mean that we're honoring Ryan Bailey's nonsense spelling or Graham's nonsense spelling. We don't need no extra vowels in there we, or extra so- consonants, whatever they are. We've, we don't have time yeah, to yeah. waste okay. talking about things like this right now. <laughs> We've all seen how you spell al- aluminium, okay? That's yeah. all I'll say. The Wait, correct do we, way. Do we spell them? Oh, so yeah. we, that's one of them. That's different. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I honestly didn't know that. That wasn't in the piece, so I didn't have to edit it out. Interesting. I, I feel like I've told this story before, but yes, it, it was a somewhat heated argument between myself and uh, former co-host Daryl Grove, late co-host Daryl Grove, about how to pronounce that word properly. And he was insistent on aluminium. And I was like, dude, there is not an extra I in there. And then we came to learn that the English do indeed include that extra I. So wow. sometimes it's the spelling that trips us up. Uh, sometimes it's having 15 teams to preview in one conference yeah. that trips us up. Uh, we do have many, many teams to discuss today, um, and we will try to do so with as much structure as Major League Soccer uh, gives us, which is to say, we still don't know the structure of the playoffs. So that's interesting, given that we've got uh, games kicking off this weekend. Might be seven teams from each conference going, might be nine teams, might be single elimination, might be best of three in the first round, and then it changes from there. Who knows? It doesn't matter, because right now, we're going to talk about the regular season first, starting with Atlanta United. Joe Lowry, tell us all about him. Okay, so through these previews, I've tried to establish some sort of a common structure. So I'm going to talk about how the last year went. I'm going to talk about roster moves. I'm going to talk about the coach and sort of the tactical style of the team, key players, and then what I'm expecting of them. Taylor is showing me the clock to let me know that I am on it. (laughs) I have got plenty of time to roll through Atlanta United. A lot has happened for this Atlanta United team. They finished 11th in the East last year, missing the playoffs in their first full season under manager Gonzalo Pineda. It was a a really disappointing year for them. They have struggled in a lot of different ways ever since winning MLS Cup in 2018. They dealt with a lot of injuries. Brad Guzan, Miles Robinson, Ozzy Alonso, they all missed most of last season. And other players missed time as well. They had issues at, at the fullback spots and just generally were beat up for most of last year. That, along with some really weird roster construction, that I think a lot of that falls on Carlos Bocanegra in that front office, made them uh, just a difficult team to even watch at times. So much skill on the ball. Thiago Almada was at the World Cup with Argentina. Luis Araujo, who came over from Lille in Liga. They have all these incredibly talented, dribbly attackers, but along with Marcelino Moreno and Rosetto and and a bunch of other players they had last season, it just never really gelled. So I think the bones were there. I think the bones still are there, but that's a little bit of a snapshot of how last year went. In terms of roster moves... The biggest move, and and maybe the single biggest roster move, at least intra-league move in all of Major League Soccer, is Joseph Martinez. 98 goals in the regular season with Atlanta in 134 regular season games. He is now an Inter-Miami player. He left the club through some weird roster mechanism, is now gone. They replaced him with Gigi, Georgios Giamakis. I don't think I did that right. I think I left out a syllable, and I do apologize for that. Coming over from Celtic. That's uh, their, their new number nine, who we might not see right off the bat, but we will see him soon. Moreno's gone. George Campbell's gone. Alan Franco's gone. So a little bit of a shuffle at, at center back. In terms of other arrivals, Derek Etienne Jr., Taylor's favorite soccer player of all time, is in from the Columbus crew. He joined the team in free agency. He's going to give them some good verticality in behind. Luis Abram is in at center back, was playing over in Spain. That's a big addition as well. 
The biggest addition, though, is is Garth Lagerway, Atlanta's new president and CEO after Darren Eels left. I think that might be uh, the biggest front office or coaching move, although the Columbus crew do have a shout there as well. He's giving this roster direction. I think this team got noticeably better in the offseason between recovery from injuries and smarter signings. I think all that's good. Gonzalo Pineda is the manager, uh, was an assistant to Schmetzer in Seattle before taking the Atlanta job in, in 2021. Uh, not a ton of tactical direction. Really, we haven't seen all the pieces together. But four two three one is generally what you can what you can expect. They want to keep the ball. Almada, I mentioned earlier, he's the the number ten, kind of drifting into the half spaces too. Araujo's in the right half space. Gigi up top. Etienne on the left. At full strength, it's a, it's a really nice looking balanced attack. I've kind of mentioned all the key players in terms of expectations. I have them making the playoffs. I know my three minutes is pretty much up right about now because I'm timing myself too. I have them making the playoffs to close here. I think this team has a really high ceiling. I think they they might even have the highest ceiling along with Toronto in the Eastern Conference. Like like this team has good bones. I could see them, and I wrote this for backfield. I could see them hitting sixty points, which would probably mean a top two finish in the East. I actually predicted them fifth because I don't know if they'll hit that ceiling. Injuries could be a problem. They're still really thin in midfield, but overall, Atlanta fans should be pumped about this new season. I'm excited to watch them, guys. I think this is a good team. So you have them as a potential top two team along with Toronto. Uh, hurtful that Philadelphia wasn't involved in that conversation, Joe. We'll hear more about them ceiling, later. Ceiling. Uh, ceiling's what I said. Oh. Just to be clear to people, I have <laughs> people already are angry at me on Twitter, Taylor. Let's not add to the fire. Fair enough. Yeah, I feel like you've been eliminated several times over. Uh, we You mentioned Carlos Bocanegra there, Joe. Just a, a random one from me. I saw some links with him and the vacant U.S. GM yep. position. How would you feel if he were appointed to that based on what he's done with Atlanta so far? Bad. I, I don't think we've seen like the evidence that he's really going to thrive in uh, a macro kind of overarching sporting director GM kind of role. The evidence at least isn't there in Atlanta. It seems like the, the U.S. soccer job is so different, though. Like It seems like it's, it's kind of a weird gig with a lot of other miscellaneous responsibilities. Bushnell, Henry Bushnell and, and Brian Strauss both had an interview with Ernie Stewart, sort of like an exit interview to hear about his time with, with U.S. soccer as he's moving on. And there's just a lot to that gig beyond managing a lot of the, the top tier stuff. So I don't I don't love that fit, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And and one other one for me, Joe. Uh, again, we're going to go long. It's fine. Whatever. We'll make this a seven hour show. Uh, do you feel like with the Joseph departure that obviously got a ton of attention, as you talked about it? It's it's a probably the biggest move of the offseason. Do you feel like that will potentially be the right move for Atlanta? Do you feel like it was time to move him on and give him another opportunity? Do you feel like. Maybe that was a premature decision. Where are you on that departure? I think it was the right time to make a move. Joseph has dealt with a lot of injuries, and it seems like he and Gonzalo Pineda didn't get along for large stretches of last season. There was the chicken and rice locker room incident where Martinez sort of overthrew a table in the visiting locker room and and got in a little bit of a spat with Pineda. So it kind of felt like it was the right time between the fact that he's aging, injuries, uh, you know, difficult stuff in the locker room. It feels like it makes sense to me. And Atlanta have the money and the the ambition to go out and sign another big time striker, which is what they're hoping Gigi's going to be for them. So yeah, it, it feels good for all parties here. Except you know, I do feel a bit for the fans because that's not really how you want the best player in your club's history, probably the the best player they will have for a long time to leave. But I mean, I think he's still beloved by the fans and still loves the fans. So I don't think there's a lot of love lost there. 
All right. Well, that would be Atlanta United. I'm putting myself on the clock to talk about Charlotte. Charlotte FC uh, finished ninth in the East in their inaugural season. 13 wins, 18 losses, three ties. A very win-or-die campaign for them with the 13 wins and the 18 losses, but then the only three draws. Uh, Their manager remains Christian Latanzio after he replaced Miguel Angel Angel Ramirez, their inaugural manager. Weird to say that a manager is still their manager in their second season in their existence, but that's how it went. And Latanzio, I think in the second of the season, proved himself pretty capable, has an emphasis on controlling the game, uh, and was made permanent after serving on an interim basis last season. Uh, Speaking of last season, they don't want to do that because it was successful, but not maybe as successful as it could have been. A lot of that having to do with uh, the lack of productivity from their wide players, especially especially, uh, DP Camille Joswiak. Zero goals, three assists in 1,100-plus minutes. Uh, Kerwin Vargas on the other side added zero goals and zero assists in 13 games. So in that 4-2-3-1, you want uh, a lot of play. You want a lot of contributions from your wide players to then open up space and opportunity for your central players. They did not get that. And I think some of the moves they have made are uh, an attempt to make things a little bit more solid through the middle. I don't know how much better they will be out wide, but they have let go of uh, Jordi Reyna. They bought him out of his contract. Uh, He had been a a fairly high earner for them, and they did clear out a lot of that first season. Not quite dead weight, but maybe just players that weren't fitting anymore. Uh, Jordi Alcivar, Alan Franco, Christian Fuchs, Daniel Rios all departed the club. In come a couple new faces. Uh, chief among them would be Enzo Copetti, a 27-year-old Argentine striker from Racing Club. Uh, he will be their number nine. He will wear the number nine, most likely. Uh, and I watched a lot of footage of him. The best way I can explain him to people who haven't seen him yet is he is frenetic. He is all action, not in a bad way. I feel like that can come across as like, oh, he's chaotic. He's got a bad touch. The best way I can sort of explain it is think of the energy Weston McKenney brings to the U.S. midfield and now make that a forward. And it's that same style of play where he's going to scrap. He's going to get into it. He likes to sort of back into people and knock them off the ball. He, he will draw a lot of fouls, but then he also wants to take people on. There's a lot of swagger to his game. Uh, but much has been made of his goal scoring rate and how good of a goal scorer he is. Uh, 19 goals and 40 appearances last season. I did the math on that one, though. Over 3,000-plus minutes, that averages out to about one goal every 161 minutes, which is fine, and I'm sure he'll score goals in MLS, but I don't think that's necessarily what he brings to Charlotte. I think he will bring hold-up play. I think he wants to play back-to-goal as I said, sort of battle with whoever's on him, uh, occupy center backs, and I think he'll open up space uh, for Sviderski, their other, uh, one of their other DPs, uh, who will play as more of a number 10 in that 4-2-3-1, to just operate, to conduct plays, to pull strings, to score goals and get forward himself. And I think there's a possibility those two combine and play really well off each other. There's also a possibility that they basically uh, occupy the same space and muddle things up, and then they don't get contributions from the wing, and things do not go swimmingly for Charlotte this season. So I think that signing uh, makes a lot of sense potentially, but if it doesn't end up clicking and we see them just sort of stuck in the same area, not really contributing much, and the wings aren't contributing much, then I could see things going poorly for Charlotte. So it's really delicately balanced. They added Ashley Westwood, 32-year-old Premier League veteran. They brought in Bill Tuiloma, uh, the 27-year-old Portland center back, uh, formerly of Portland, uh, and then Hamidi Dio, the number one pick in the Super Draft. So they strengthened in defense. They brought in a key attacker. Now the question is, can their wingers be better than they were last season? Uh, And can Charlotte be better than they were last season? 
season. Ninth w- was good. Uh, hopefully, I think a little bit better for them this year, though. Joe, it sounds like the consensus opinion amongst experts, I would not put myself in that category, is an expectation that they will not be quite as good this year. Yeah, I had them in 13th in the MLSsoccer.com preseason projections, which I, I think is important to take with a grain of salt. It's it's fun to talk about, and, and I like making the predictions, and I think people like roasting all of us, and that's all good. Just, I mean, the, the first transfer window for MLS isn't even over yet, right? The, the primary transfer window doesn't end until the end of April, basically. And then you've got the summer window, which is oftentimes when MLS are, are making, MLS teams are making really important moves ahead of the stretch run and ahead of the playoffs. So a lot can change for Charlotte, but Westwood's old and injury prone. I don't love their central midfield group. Joseph Yak was not good in England before they signed him and was not good last year. And, and he still projects as a starter for them. I, I think Capetti is, an ambitious signing, and I like the fact that they tried to, to take a swing. I'm not all the way there yet, but Taylor, your analysis there is, is really, really good. They have pieces. Shinyashiki's good. Uh, a couple of the pieces further back in the defense is good. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see it all the way with this team right now. And you know what? I can say that because Ryan's not here to get mad or sad. <laughs> um, uh, then an unrelated one. I think of when it comes to that summer window, it seems like there are certain teams that really are just like, you know what, we'll bring in some players in the summer and then we'll really focus on the season and making the playoffs and go from there. Uh, NYCFC is one of those, like chief among them as the most like, ah, we'll wait till the summer and see what happens. Are there other teams, Joe, that you think of as being more inclined to wait until the the summer than to prioritize spending early in the season? Seattle is usually one that comes to mind for me. I think Seattle have good pieces, but still lack depth in a, in a number of different spots. And I don't expect them to make a lot of moves until the summer. It sounds like Garth in Atlanta is going to wait till the summer to sign another central midfielder. So those are a couple of teams, both with Seattle ties as well with Pineda and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Lagerwey. I think I could see those teams waiting until the summer to make their next big move. All right, so it's thumbs up for Atlanta so far. It's like thumbs middling for Charlotte. Uh, Graham, I'm assuming two thumbs up for Chicago. Uh, yes, if by up you mean down. I assume oh, okay. that's what okay. you mean. My mistake, yeah. my mistake. So uh, last season was disappointing for MLS's preeminent franchise named after a popular TV show, although Nashville <laughs> is, is pretty popular too. That is always the issue with Googling Chicago Fire is you never actually get the soccer team, first of all, in your search results. But anyway, I, I, I found them, eventually Agreed. found them in my research for this podcast. Well, I uh, wish, they finished. Oh, Graham, I wish this whole preview were just you doing like a plot summary for the latest season of Chicago fire the tv show like it doesn't seem like they're ready for the bitch but i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen yeah i mean i've not watched a single episode of the tv series no uh, so i'm a bit out of my depth here but i i gather it's about you know firefighters and stuff yeah so i'm gonna run you through the the synopsis of season one here of chicago fire just joking uh, i'm gonna run you through how last season went for the chicago fire they finished 12th in the eastern conference which uh, obviously saw them miss out on the playoffs in fact chicago have missed out on the playoffs in each of the last five seasons and they've only made the playoffs twice since 2010 so that is not a good record for them there was a lot of talk last season about a rebuild which saw a, a new head coach jerdan shakiri came in as a big name but it didn't really amount to much in the end they, they were actually in a decent position heading down the home stretch they were seventh in the east as late as august but it kind of all fell apart in the end there were however two main bright spots for the fire and they came in the form of the emergence of gagas who i know technically broke through 
in 2021, but he really asserted himself as Chicago's first choice goalkeeper last year. And the other player who really burst onto the scene was John Duran, who scored eight MLS goals last season and really gave the fire uh, an exciting young forward to build their team around for the future. And that brings me to some of the changes that have taken place yeah. over the offseason. I've got some bad news. Uh, remember how I just said that Slamina and Duran were both the only real highlight of Chicago's season in 2022? Uh. Yeah, well, they're both gone. Uh, Slonina joined Chelsea in the summer, but played the rest of the season with the fire. And Duran joined Aston Villa in the January transfer window. The fire got a good amount of money for both players, around $28 million combined. But replacing Duran in particular is going to be difficult. And whether they can find someone to do what he does, uh, I think it's going to have a big bearing on how 2023 goes. In terms of new players coming in, Chicago have signed Arno Suke uh, from Montpellier, not a player that I'm familiar with. He's going to be their new starting right back. And they have also signed uh, Heil Selassie from FC Lugano in Switzerland on loan. He is a winger who had four goal involvements in just under 700 Swiss league minutes this year so far this season so I guess we'll see what he can contribute in MLS Uh, Ezra Hendrickson is Chicago Fire's head coach and this is his second season in charge when he first came in a year ago Hendrickson said he wanted Chicago to be a possession team in terms of the the style of play and there were some signs of that over the course of the season but it didn't really feel like he had the personnel to play that way and when you look at the numbers the Fire they ranked uh, mid-table for share of possession in 2023 so I'm not really sure what the what the style of play is. Hendrickson clearly has something that he wants to try but and has something in mind. He has a vision, but hasn't really been able to implement that so far. He most commonly uses a 4-2-3-1 formation and the game plan so far, last season anyway, was about getting the ball to their best players higher up the pitch as quickly as possible. Um, that brings me on to some of their quick player, uh, best players Excuse me, that I will run through quickly. Jardin Shakiri already mentioned him. Uh, had a rough time with injuries in his first year in MLS, but still finished with seven goals and six assists in 29 games, which isn't terrible at all. I think with Duran now gone, the expectation will be on him to contribute even more because to be reductive about it, Chicago need to find some more goals. And Shakiri's one of the players in that squad who can do that. Casper uh, Shabalko is another key player for Chicago. Similar to Shakiri, he'll need to step up in 2023. I thought his signing for 2022, he was part of the rebuild last year. I thought it was a real coup. He'd obviously had a good record with uh, with Philly, but he scored just five goals last season and there's already a suggestion that he could be moved on to free up some space in the squad for Chicago to spend some of that uh, sweet Slonina and Duran money. And then finally, uh, Jairo Torres is, is my third key player for the Fire in 2023. He was another one of the star signings last year. Injuries again prevented him from kind of building any consistency or momentum. And really, when you look at Shabalko, Shakiri, and Torres, you get a common theme of the Fire are very much counting on year two being better than year one. I don't know if that is going to happen because I think expectations are relatively low for, for this group. They're counting on the chemistry being better. I'm not sure that will be enough. I mean, defensively, they were solid enough last year, but their attack produced the second fewest goal in the whole, second fewest goals, excuse me, in the whole league in 2022. And I'm not really convinced they've done anything to change that besides selling their best young attacker. So maybe they're going to spend some of that money in, in before the end of the window. Maybe they, they sign someone in the summer. But right now, I think it could be another difficult year for Chicago. Graham, do you anticipate the residents of Chicago by the end of the season wanting to watch more Chicago Fire the team or Chicago Fire the TV show? <laughs> uh, how good is the TV show? What is the consensus on that TV no show? Idea. 
Right. So let's just say the TV show then. That sounds right. better than the, the soccer team. <laughs> All right. That answers the question pretty much. Uh, let's take a break. Then we will get back to doing exactly what we're doing, which is previewing the Eastern Conference back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, talking the MLS Eastern Conference for 2023. Joe, let's go to Cincinnati, shall we? Yeah, baby. Really, really good last season for FC Cincinnati, finishing fifth in the Eastern Conference and won a playoff game as well against the New York Red Bulls. This, to add context here for anybody who's who's maybe new to Major League Soccer, is a big deal because Cincinnati were the worst team in MLS for three straight years and generally were the team that everybody poked fun at because they were really bad. So that's the context surrounding last season. Pat Noonan comes in as manager. Chris Albright comes in as, as GM, both from Philly. They start to get rid of some bad contracts and make some real signings. They develop guys on the roster and all of a sudden... We're looking at a, a very good team, granted one with some holes still, and we'll talk about that in a second, but just a, a fantastic 2022 season from FC Cincinnati, just incredible stuff from them. In terms of roster moves, there weren't a lot of really significant losses this offseason, so Ronald Matarita, Costa Rican left back, is probably the biggest name. He left for a team in Ukraine, so they, uh, they've got some shuffling there, but he was injured for a good chunk of last season as well. So Matarita is gone. Three new potential starters are in. So Yersin Mosquera at center back is in on loan from Wolves in the Premier League. Colombian center back, 21 years old. He projects as a starter for them in their back three. Mark Angulo, who I think is a player, Taylor, that you've talked about on TSS before, maybe earlier on in the offseason. Defensive midfielder from Ecuador, yes. 20 years yes. old. Yeah, right. So probably not going to start right away. At least I don't expect him to. But, you know, if he if he uh, if he continues to to train well and get involved, I could see him having a bigger role as the season goes on. And then Santiago Arias, right wing back, 31 year old Colombian has played at, at several big European clubs. He's in the team as well. Coach in, in, in style notes, Pat Noonan, I mentioned already, 42 years old, did very well in that first full season after being an assistant for Jim Curtin with the Union and Bruce Arena with the U.S. Men's National Team and the L.A. Galaxy. So he's coached under a couple of, of really the the biggest names in American soccer at this point and did excellent in, the, in, in year one. Play very aggressively, heavy transition game, usually out of a 3-4-1-2 shape, really good strikers, great number 10. Now there's more depth behind them in midfield and at center back. That sounds like improvement over last year to me. In terms of key players, Lucho Acosta was one of the best number 10s in all of Major League Soccer. MLS is still a league where number 10s thrive because overall the defensive quality isn't as good as the attacking quality. And so that means you can have one player with an outsized amount of skill who maybe doesn't have to try as hard defensively. It's not that Lucho Acosta doesn't try, but I mean, this is still a place where he can really thrive and, and play the game he wants to play. 10 goals, 12 assists last season. Brenner and, and Brandon Vasquez... They're two strikers, first choice strikers in the in the three four one two. Both had eighteen goals last year, so they're worth watching. 
Brendan Vasquez with the, with the national team as well. And then Obina Nwobodo in midfield, uh, central defensive midfielder, covers a bunch of ground, eats up the ball, does a lot of good stuff. I Guys, I, I really like this team. I liked them last year, pretty early on in the year. You could see that they were building towards something. I predicted them to be second in the East, and that wouldn't surprise me. Like, to me, they're in the top tier along with Philadelphia and, and maybe the two New York teams, although we'll get to those later, of teams that, that really are... That their floor is is relatively high, and I would be very surprised if they don't make the playoffs. I mentioned Toronto and uh, and Atlanta earlier. Those teams could combust. I have a harder time seeing Cincinnati combust, even if they meet some obstacles this year. I I really like this team. I think they've got a lot of potential this year. Uh, I had to go back and find my notes, Joe, for Angulo. Uh, yes, I was super stoked about him. It is who I thought it was. He's got the fro, right? He's mini Fellaini. I think that's what I dubbed him. I believe so, yes. Yeah, uh, smaller frame, but still with the fro. And I had him as raw but exciting, technical precision on the ball. Not 100% there, yeah. but we'll maybe yeah. get there. So yeah, I think there's going to be some frustrating moments, but I think he will be uh, plenty of energy and plenty of fun for Cincinnati. So it sounds like another strong season for them. Yeah. Uh, their fellow Ohio uh, members, Columbus, would be maybe a little bit less optimistic of the Columbus crew. We shall see what happens. Uh, when last we left them, they were eighth in the East, two points outside of a playoff spot. Uh, Caleb Porter uh, departs the club at the end of the season. Uh, and where we find them now is that they have enough pieces are there that they could get them all to fit together. Uh, it's like a puzzle piece that we th- or a puzzle that we think they can put together and maybe all the pieces go together, but also we're not 100% sure. But if there were a person you want putting those pieces together, it's probably Wilfred Nancy, who is their new coach, comes from Montreal uh, after a prolonged pursuit, um, quoting Tom Bogert here about why Columbus wanted him so much. His ability to put together a game model that controlled matches while developing talent at the same time is not typical. Uh, the expectation is that he will continue to go with a back three like we saw in Montreal. Not a certainty, but a possibility. And with Nancy coming in, we've seen a lot of changes, a very, very like changing of the guard sort of season in Columbus. They've uh, lost or let go Jonathan Mensa, club captain, longtime center back, uh, anchor, I would say, of their defense, goes to San Jose after making almost 160 appearances since 2017. Artur, long tenured uh, defensive midfielder, who I believe became a U.S. citizen while playing for the crew, uh, close to 140 appearances, now playing for Houston. Pedro Santos leaves for D.C. as a free agent. The aforementioned Derek Etienne Jr. leaving for Atlanta. So lots of minutes, lots of experience out the door, and they have brought in some experience, but ultimately it feels like they are going with the squad as it was with some young players coming through. I would expect a lot of uh, academy players to get minutes and get opportunities this season. They brought Christian Ramirez back from hating life in Aberdeen uh, for a year. Uh, he played for Houston previously until 2021. Uh, and Yimmy Madronda, a uh, free agent who will likely start as a left wing back. But uh, as I said, it seems like this is going to be about uh, like a young team with academy players peppered in. Uh, Matt Doyle summarized it really well in his season preview. What this feels like to me is a bet on Nancy's ability to develop the talent already in the roster. It's what he did best in Montreal after all. Yep. So it seems like they are rolling the dice with a similar approach, maybe with a little bit more money behind it uh, and maybe slight less inclination to sell than Montreal. We're going to talk about them soon. Uh, but I think it's going to be a very interesting season and I think a lot of the success for Columbus will be built around uh, Zellerayan in the middle uh, as a number 10 who can also play wide. Uh, Joe and I texted a little a little bit about this, and I feel like he's going to be similar-ish to what Georgi Mihailovic was uh, last season for Montreal, where he'll do a number of different 
things and he brings a lot of flexibility and they will rely on that flexibility uh, to get them through some tough spots. So uh, I, I think there are plenty of reasons to watch Columbus. I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be a really captivating team because of that narrative of will it all kind of come together under Nazi. Yeah, they have they have real talent here. Cucho and, and Lucas El Rayon, Darlington Nagby. I mean, there's quality in this team. Mm-hmm. They, I think, still have a couple of signings left to be made. But for now, Nancy kind of is their DP signing. He is the pl- he is the single person that they're counting on to do the most to help transform this club. And he did a good job of it, a darn good job of it in Montreal after Thierry Henry left. I don't know that you know they're going to be able to have the same level of flexibility in Columbus that that he and his staff had in in Montreal. But I mean. Yeah, different pieces to like in this squad, and, and the ceiling could be high or the floor could be low. Maybe both of those things are true. Still just, I feel like, Taylor, a lot of unknowns with this team. Yeah, that, that's about where it is for me, because even somebody like Christian Ramirez, who has a proven track record of scoring in Major League Soccer, goes to Scotland and comes back, there's an assumption that he'll pick pick up where he left off and, and score some goals and make them a, a strong team. But Graham, I don't know if that's the case. You've seen him far more regularly or recently than I have. He's basically had a year out of playing uh, professional yeah. soccer, so I don't know how that's going to have uh, have impacted him. It, the, the weird thing about Ramirez was in his first season at Aberdeen, he was he was very good. He I think he might have got close to twenty goals in his first season for Aberdeen, um, but then there was a, there was a story that he wanted to go back to the US. His his wife or partner or girlfriend uh, didn't really seem to like Scotland very much, and so Aberdeen replaced him and then couldn't find a buyer for him, and then he just basically sat on the bench for a year. So. So there's definitely a good finisher in there. He is quite limited and and he's he's not an all-round forward. He's someone you're going to need to give service to. Um, But I think if the the crew can do that, he is definitely an MLS-proven goal scorer. And I think he could potentially be a good addition. And Joe, uh, if we assume that Nazi will continue the kind of trend of wanting to control games uh, as best he can. Do you like that front three then, or that front two with Zellerán behind of Ramirez and Hernandez? It seems like there is enough there if you're getting numbers around them and chances around them. Yeah, we'll see. I would imagine we'll see Ramirez and and Cucho together for stretches of the year. I don't know that that's the look we're going to see right off the bat. I I think it's probably Zellerán and and Cucho together to start the year with maybe more midfielders or, or center backs behind them to fill out the squad. And then we'll see looks where it is that front two with two out and out strikers. It was a mix of both last year in Montreal. So if it's a three four one two, uh, Joe will eat his hat that he doesn't have from MLS. Correct. Correct. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That's all I ask, Joe. That's all I ask. Uh, I would ask for a positive report about DC United, Graham, but I'm not sure yeah. that's where we're heading. <laughs> nah, we'll see about that. No, I'm, uh, spoiler. No, that's not where we're, we're heading at all. Um, there's definitely a common theme with my first two teams of this year's previews, just like the Chicago Fire, DC United are an historic uh, franchise that has enjoyed success in the past. But just like the Chicago Fire, they have struggled to head in the right direction in recent seasons. And I'm not convinced they're going to turn much of a corner this year. They finished 14th in the Eastern Conference in 2022, which obviously saw them miss out in the playoffs because that's the wooden spoon uh, that DC United one last year. I don't know if one is the is, is the operative term there, but you get what I mean. They made a managerial change midway through the season with Hernan Losada fired and Wayne Rooney, you might have heard of him, appointed in his place. Rooney's still in charge at DC United, despite his wife's continued hatred of uh, all things DC, it seems. And I guess the hope is that 
now he's had enough time to build something and at least push DC closer to the playoff line. Uh, let's talk about the moves they've made over the offseason or, or some of the moves that have happened because there's been a lot of them for DC United. This year, uh, 13 players have left the club over the winter. Bill Hamid was one of those players, so that's notable given how long he had been there. Ola Kamara is also gone. David Ochoa also left. So... DC United have, have given themselves some given themselves some room to rebuild this squad and seven players have come in to the club. And Matthias Click has been signed from Leeds United. He is a, a designated player. And while he's 32 and maybe not the physical force that he was a few seasons ago, I think he could still be a key part of Rooney's midfield this season. Or I'll rephrase, he will be a key part. I think he could be a good performer. I think he could be a successful signing. But I guess we'll need to see about that one. Uh, Ruan has arrived in a trade from Orlando City and he will be their starting right back this season. Uh, Tyler Miller has been signed from Minnesota United to be the new starting goalkeeper, the replacement for Hamid. And there are some other familiar names who have come in as well, including Derek Williams, Pedro Santos, Alex Bono. Um, in terms of the transfer fees, Mohaned Jihazi has been uh, DC United's biggest signing. So he's been signed from Hammerby in Sweden for $1 million. That's the most money they've spent on a new signing by quite a distance. He's a new left back. Um, I was reading a good piece on The Analyst, which is run by uh, Opta. And they had a piece looking at six players that you might not have heard of who could have a big season in MLS this year. And Jahazi was one of the six players that they highlighted. So there is some excitement about what he could bring to DC United. Uh, I think he could be an important player in terms of how they construct attacks and how they get forward. So it's it, it's this is enough to make it an interesting season in itself for DC United. The fact that there has been so much squad turnover. The fact that, as I mentioned, Wayne Rooney is head coach at DC United, one of the biggest names in in MLS history, obviously was fairly successful to a point. I mean, he had that tackle and assist for DC United. He'll always have that highlight highlight reel moment as a player. I think the jury is still out on him as as a head coach, so he tended to favour a 4-3-3 formation last season, although there were some times when it was a 4-4-2. And... uh, Similar to Ezra Hendrickson, this is where it can be difficult to work out what a manager wants to do and what he is able to do because of the condition of the team. So it seems like Rooney wants to make DC a more dominant team with the ball. He wants to push the fullbacks high, which is probably why they've signed uh, Jahazi over the offseason. And he wants to create overloads to create chances for the forwards. Um, But whether that actually happens this year, I'm not so sure. Rooney is an interesting character as a coach. He did well at Derby County, but a lot of that seemed to be about creating a siege mentality, given the financial circumstances of that club and essentially being a motivator. Um, that's maybe selling him short as a, as a, tank, a tactician, but that's that's where I see his strengths as, as a motivator. And there's already been footage of him giving team talks this season where he said, quote, there's no chance we're finishing bottom of that league again. Uh, we'll see about that, Wayne Rooney. Uh, some key players, Christian Benteke, Benteke, excuse me, he's the obvious key player for DC United in that he's a Premier League proven goal scorer. I think a lack of service was a problem last season, so DC United need to do a better job of getting crosses into him because that's one of his strengths. He's good in the air, so he might as well use that. Um, Matthias Click, I already mentioned him. I think he's almost linked to this idea of giving Benteke better service, not in terms of crosses, but just linking the midfield and the attack, which was quite fragmented and quite disconnected 
last season. And then uh, finally, Taxi Fantas is, is, is someone who could uh, be a, a difference maker for DC. Um, his record last season of, of 12 goals and 21 games is actually pretty impressive for, for a player in his position out wide. The one concern is that when you look at his numbers, he did outperform his numbers by quite a margin last season in terms of expected goals and how many big chances he actually had. So if there's a regress to the mean, that could mean he's not quite as productive in 2023. But I think DC need uh, Fantas to... to, to to be in good form. DC have an old roster. In fact, having a, a, a quick look through the teams for this year, there's a good chance they'll have the oldest starting lineup in the league. The idea is that they're building for the here and now. And while I have no issue with that, if you get players who can deliver in the here and now, I'm not sure that DC have a, enough of those players. There is a, a kind of real sense of chaos around this club that has existed for a, a number of years now. You look at the managerial changes, you look at the squad turnover, you look at where they finished in the table as well. It's not all, it's, it's not encouraging, really. And I think this could be another another difficult season, unfortunately. Taylor Rockwell, I know you've got DC United leanings. Do you disagree with any of that? Are you more positive than I am? I'm not. I'm not. No, they've uh, they've smashed any optimism uh, I might be able to have. Uh, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. But like the fifth time or sixth time I've been fooled. I, I, I learned my lessons. It, it, it seems like a team that like... As with so many teams we talk about, there are the teams that are definitely going to be good, that have all the pieces together, that feel like they've they've had really smart roster construction. And then there are teams that might put it together, might have everybody click, but at the same time might have it all fall apart and have it look very disparate at times. And I, I feel like that is DC United. I think there's also not much depth there. I look at somebody like Russell Knauss or even Chris Durkin, players that I think we thought would develop to that next level and become key performers for the national team or make those big moves, and that hasn't really happened. And it just seems like a team that... Like so many different names on there are players that like we thought would would kick on, we thought would reach those like high high heights, and instead sort of stalled out a little bit. Ravel Morrison is one of those. Christian Benteke is even one of those. So I, I think there are ways in which this could work, and Wayne Rooney can inspire them to great things. I'm assuming that will be dependent on him making a move out of the frat house he was living in. Graham, is he still living with a, a bunch of twenty somethings? <laughs> I think uh, I think because his wife is not with him in yeah. DC, is just taking his opportunity to relive his youth, or rather have the the, the youth. Obviously, Wayne Rooney didn't. He was playing first team football yeah. as a sixteen year old for Everton, so he's he's having the youth that he never had as a professional soccer player. Uh, well, let's go from the chaos and disorder of Washington DC to the I don't know chaos and disorder of Miami, Joe. Yep, sounds about right. Yep. Inter-Miami finished 11th in the Eastern Conference in 2021. They finished 6th last year before losing in the first round of the playoffs. So that stuff is is progress. Some difficulties initially getting Gonzalo Higuain to buy in last year, but they got there at the end of the day, and he retired in the most fitting way possible um, at, at Yankee Stadium. So that was a, a lovely picture <laughs> for him. Uh, in, in general, a pretty nasty season, but definitely a step forward for them. So that's progress after the whole 5DP uh, shenanigans. So either way, maybe maybe Miami are stepping in the right direction. In terms of outgoing moves, Pozuelo is the biggest one. Alejandro Pozuelo arrived halfway through the year in a trade with Toronto. Really the only true number 10 on their roster last season. Uh, they don't have one at his level. They have uh, a couple of players that, that they think can maybe do some of that stuff, but I think the jury's still out there. And then Iguain is, is gone as well. I mentioned he retired. In terms of incomings, Joseph Martinez is big. I mentioned him from the Atlanta perspective earlier. With Miami, he uh, he probably won't have to play every single minute because they also have Leo Campagna, who they, they signed from Wolves permanently this offseason. 
Uh, so they have another striker that I think they like. But Joseph Martinez is a guy that if he's healthy and hot, you, you try to get him on the field. So I think we will see two strikers from Miami throughout stretches. They've been using two strikers and a 4-4-2 diamond in, in preseason for stretches. Another key signing for them, Sergio Kravistov. So 31-year-old Ukrainian international. More than 200 appearances for Shakhtar in, in the Ukrainian Premier League. So a player with a really nice pedigree there that, that we're going to get to see in the back line for Miami this year. And then Rodolfo Pizarro is back in on loan. I had sort of forgotten that that was a thing. I'm guessing many other people did as well. So it ended uh, Miami. Yep, he's back, baby. So he's in this squad. It seems like he's going to be playing significant minutes for them this season. We will see how all of that goes in terms of the coaching style stuff. Phil Neville is the manager, 46 years old. Year two, like I mentioned, was better than year one. It's a pretty basic style, simple approach, a mixture of, of pressure and possession, not fully in either category. They kind of just exist in this average middle area. They played a bunch of different shapes last year. I think we'll see a bunch of different ones this year, too. I mentioned the two-striker thing with maybe a number 10 behind them. Oh, speaking of Phil Neville, by the way, uh, while Graham was dishing out the, the DC United info there, it seems like MLS has confirmed their playoff structure. At least the Athletic is reporting that. So probably by the time folks have listened to this episode, it is the nine teams with eight and nine playing a, a single elimination playoff game to then have a chance to go at the first seed in their conference. Then it'll be uh, a best of three in that round one. And then it'll go, I believe, back to some single elimination from there. So that's just tying up that thread from earlier on in the show. In terms of key players, Joseph Martinez, I mentioned him, nine goals in 1,500 minutes last year, which is a, a really good tally. Uh, he's one to watch. Leo Campagna as well, 11 goals in 1,500 minutes last year. Uh, Gregore in midfield and Mota in midfield as well. Two players that really provide the platform for this Miami team. I think they're they're well above average central midfielders in Major League Soccer. Still, all all told right now, I feel like it's a little bit hard to put a pin in where Miami are in the East. I predict them at 11th, but I mean, it, it could be much higher. They have the talent to go higher. They have some nice young pieces, decent depth in, in the midfield and in the attack. Uh, they could do a lot better than 11th, or they could end up right about there. I don't think they'll be much lower, uh, but I, I still don't have a great feel for this team ahead of 2023. Do you feel like they're another one that we just need to see them, like what they do in the summer? Do they just need to like figure out some pieces, or is it more so they have a ton of pieces? You're not sure how those pieces will come together under Phil Neville. Uh, they have pieces in certain areas, and I feel like they lack a little bit of depth and quality in others. So the, the, the attack, I think there's a lot of depth between Joseph and, and Campana and then Ariel Lassiter and, and a couple of the other signings they made, Quarantine John. I mean, th- there's a bunch there. I'm not totally sold on the backline depth. Uh, the fullbacks are still a little bit of a question mark, although they did make a signing at left back and have Yedlin on the right. But depth is, is a question for me. Uh, I, I think we just kind of have to wait and see how the pieces fit and maybe if they add one or two. Will, uh, will Lionel Messi signing in the summer improve this team? That was, that was literally my next question. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, if it happens, I, uh, I think he will light the league on fire. I would love to see it. I think it's going to be beautifully chaotic in a perfectly Miami kind of way. Let's make it happen, people. Uh, yeah. Where... We'll go from a team where they are trying to load up as many DPs as they can to a team that would probably sell DP spots if they could get some money off of it. Shall we talk Montreal, gentlemen? Let's do it. Indeed. All right. Uh, My summary for them up front. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, we hope. Uh, Last year, they impressed and then some. Second in the East, uh, 20 wins, 9 losses, 5 draws, 65 points. Again, good for second in the East. They lost in the Eastern Conference semifinals to NYCFC. Uh, They return 8 of 11 starters. 
as you would think, that they are on very solid footing. But then we look at those four departures. Yes, I said four when they're returning eight of 11. And things take a turn uh, because they sell Georgie Mihailovic. That was a deal that was agreed upon uh, during the season, but it goes into effect afterwards. Uh, $6 million sale to Azed, but he had grown into a star performer, offered a ton of variety to their attack. Alistair Johnson, the Canadian defender, moved to Celtic. 33 appearances in one season uh, with Montreal. Uh, they get $3.5 million for him. Ismail Kone uh, to Watford for $8 million. Million. Uh, that's a club record fee. He then goes to the World Cup with Canada. So they're raking in the money. But perhaps the biggest loss here would be, uh, in my mind, Wilfred Nancy, uh, the former manager uh, that he is. He has now gone to Columbus. Obviously, I talked about him earlier. But I think there is, at least in my mind, this idea that he made that team gel and he made them better than the sum of their parts. Though there were very good parts there. You have to get kind of the best out of them while sticking with the uh, flexibility of being a selling club, which is what Montreal seemed to want to be. And so I think the idea is Hernan Losada, the former DC United manager, comes in, and the goal is play as like as exciting soccer as you can, uh, have a stable system, but again, focus on the youth, focus on development, and be okay with selling on players. A very good example of this, in my mind, is Joaquin Torres, who was a, a good player for them, a, a sort of reserve player, comes in when people are injured, but he is a central attacking midfielder who can also play wide, has familiarity with the club, with the system, and would have been the very logical successor to Georgie Mihailovic being sold, but then Philly uh, like flashed a roll of cash and Joaquin Torres was sold to the Philadelphia Union. So again, Montreal very content to sell players on when there is value to be had and then replace them with young players. And that is what this season is going to be. It's going to rest on Hernan Losada being able to replicate that approach successfully, developing young players, selling them for profit, keeping the team competitive. I don't know if he will be able to do that. I have a lot of skepticism from his time at DC United, but I think I like having concrete things to sort of watch and understand about this league because there are so many teams and so many variables and considerations to be had that just understanding that the basically the narrative in my mind is going to be, can Losada do a passing impression or a better version of what Wilfred Nancy was doing? Because if so, it will be another strong season. If not, they will probably find somebody who can. There have been a few additions along the way. Aaron Herrera brought in via a trade with RSL, so he'll start it right back. George Campbell, the Atlanta homegrown who has some experience, not a ton, but enough, will either be center back depth or he will start at center back if they sell another defender before the season begins uh, or before the window closes. So, a lot of players going out, still a lot of consistency there, but some pretty big names with some pretty big numbers attached uh, will have some question marks around Montreal. And that is my my sort of summary of them. Joe, any thoughts, uh, Graham, any thoughts on Montreal, or are we about good with that one? Well, Montreal have the worst kits, the worst new kits in MLS this, this year. Uh, the reason for that is uh, they're the only franchise not to have released a new kit because they, they made a mistake, I believe, on some sort of inscription that... I kind of oh half boy. read this story, some sort of inscription that maybe was a little bit off or maybe uh, wasn't quite accurate. And so they've had to redesign that new shirt. So I only reviewed 29 new shirts for uh, Backheeled this week when it should have been 30. But thank you, Montreal, for that. <laughs> All right. So not winning the kit department up front. Not the strongest of starts then. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back to finish out the Eastern Conference back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back, Graham. Take us to Nashville, if you would. Not the TV series. Let's talk <laughs> the team. I have more experience with the TV show Nashville. Oh I think my wife has watched a few episodes of, of, of that, so I kind of know what it's about. I'll just I'll talk about the team, shall I? Even though I do have I have watched some I episodes. Mean, I don't uh, know 20, anything 20... about Nashville, the TV show either. So it's up to you. Which, whichever one you want, just keep in mind. One of those will make listeners way angrier, and one of them will make a few listeners probably happier. Okay, so from my experience of the TV show, uh, there's a oh lot boy. of kind of shouting and there's some music going on there because, of course, it's Nashville. Uh, Nashville, the team, 2022, was a good season for, for Nashville. They they finished fifth in the Western Conference. I thought there was a chance they could have a, 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 have made a run in, in, in the playoffs. I had a theory that they would be best suited to knock out soccer. I remember talking about that last year um, because they've got good ability from set pieces and they have this kind of knack for producing when it matters most. Um, but they went out in the, in the first round to the LA Galaxy. Um, that was quite a tight match. I remember watching that one live. Hani Mukhtar was MVP after scoring 23 goals in 33 games in the regular season. He will be one of the best players in the league again this season. Uh, in terms of off-season activity, Dave Romney left Nashville at the end of last season. He'd been a near-ever-present for Nashville as an MLS franchise, but the, the revolution traded for him. Aki Loba, he's also left uh, Nashville. He's been loaned out to uh, team in Liga Mekis. Um That's maybe... Not so surprising, given that he never really did the business in MLS. But the problem for Nashville is that he's still counted as one of their, their yeah. three DPs. So that is not ideal at all. Nashville, they have made some new additions to their roster. Uh, Picoult has, has uh, signed from... Uh, 
the Houston, Dyn- the Houston Dynamo, broaden their attacking options around Hani Mukhtar. That has kind of been a theme for a long time now for Nashville. It's just kind of ease the reliance on Hani Mukhtar and at least get some players up alongside him. They haven't really had a great deal of success in, in that regard. So maybe uh, Picoult, given that he's, you know, proven to a certain extent in MLS and has been decent at times over the years, maybe he'll be a little bit more successful. But I wouldn't say it's a signing that comes with a guarantee of success. No. Um, and then there's... Uh, Nick, Nick, I've never said this name before. I, I've seen it written a number of times. Nick, Nick, De, Nick Depoy, Joe? Depew? From I think Depew. Yeah, I'm kind of Depew, in a similar right, boat. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever said that name before. Um, but yeah, he's he's almost certainly a depth signing uh, with Jack Meyer and, and Walker Zimmerman as the first choice pairing in, in central defence. Gary Smith is Nashville head coach and this is his, his fourth season in charge of the club. He's English. Uh, not that I will hold that against him. He played the majority of, of his playing career in the English lower leagues with the, the likes of Wiccan Wanderers and Enfield. He weirdly ended up in MLS when Arsenal hired him to establish their academy with the Colorado Rapids a number of years ago. I assume that was some sort of joint venture with Stan Kroenke in the middle. But from there, he ended up as the Rapids head, co- head coach for a couple of years. And then he resurfaced again at Nashville when they became a, you know, they, they had their expansion season when they became an MLS franchise. He tends to favor a 4-4-2 formation. Um, and Nashville are a team that is best suited to play in transition. And this isn't a team that creates a lot from their possession play. If they, if they have to dictate games with the ball and play through teams in a low defensive block, that's when things can get a little bit tricky for Nashville, as we saw a number of times last season. But in transition, they are one of the best teams in the league in that respect. Key players, I've already mentioned one of them, Hani Mukhtar. Um, he was MVP last season, top scorer in MLS last season as well. He is the attacking figurehead of this team. And as long as he is in the team, Nashville do do have a chance because he's that good. The other standout key player for me is uh, Walker Zimmerman, obviously someone that we've spoken a lot about. He's a USMNT international, played at the World Cup. He's proven himself over a number of years in MLS with Nashville and uh, LAFC and FC Dallas going back a little bit now. He is the defensive leader for this team. And if they're going to have a, a, another good season, you'd have to think that Walker Zimmerman will have to have another good season. And then in central midfield, Sean Davis played as many minutes as any other outfielder beside Mukhtar. So I guess you have to mention him as a key player. I think he'll be a, a, important again alongside league veteran Dax McCarty in, in the centre of the pitch. Shaq Moore, he settled in relatively quickly after joining from Tenerife last summer. He's an important part of, of how Nashville get forward now down the down the right side. So Nashville have an, an established team with a couple of standout players in key positions. I think those two players are Zimmerman and Mukhtar. And that has worked well for them in, in the past. And I think it will work well for them again in 2023. I, I do think Nashville have kind of found their um, their ceiling over the last two seasons with the roster that they have. And I don't think they've improved enough for that ceiling to be much higher. Um, in terms of the regular season, I'd be surprised if they finish. If, if sorry, if they don't finish in, in the playoff places again, um, just because they do have that sort of consistency. Uh, and and from that point on, I think the focus has to be on postseason improvement because that's where they can make some strides forward. Um, maybe experience helps them do that, but I I kind of feel like it won't be until the autumn winter time that we. We'll be able to make a judgment on their season, but I get the sense there may be some dissension in in, in the ranks here. Joe, do you feel differently, or do you feel do you agree with that? I I mostly agree. I guess I, I feel like it's been a disappointing off season for Nashville. Uh, Hani Mukhtar still doesn't have much help in the attack, which has been the thing that folks like myself have been banging on about for Nashville for a while now. 
Uh, he's got to be MVP level good again to get this team, you know, ab- above the playoff line That's firmly. And then the midfield's just another year older, right? I mean, I think Dax McCarty, Annabelle Godoy, and, and Sean Davis. Sean Davis might be 29 or he might be 30. The other two are definitely over 30. Like, it, it just feels to me like they're trying to run it back a year older and not really a, a year better or, or better in almost any way. So I, I think Nashville is still a solid team. I can, I can see them in the playoffs. I can see them causing problems yeah. for teams. But I just don't feel like they, they really have moved in a positive direction this offseason. That, that's entirely fair. I understand that. I guess from my perspective, um, as you say, they're a solid team. I think they'll be in the playoffs again. And yeah. so it's just a case of having another go in the playoffs. Like I don't think there was much between them and the Galaxy last year in, in, in that nah. first round. If they win that game, then there's a chance you know they go on a little bit of a, of a run. Of course, it's LAFC after that, so maybe not. But the principle stands. It feels like Nashville... In the right circumstances, if they take their opportunities, if the tactical matchup is good for them, they are a team that I think has the potential, has a playoff run in them, and it might just be a case of, as I say, having another go. So that that's what I mean when I say yeah. it's not until later in the season I feel like I, I'll be able to make a judgment on their on their campaign. I think Joe had them eighth in the East, so now that we know that there will be nine teams going, there we go, comfortably in the playoffs. (laughs) Nashville, congratulations. Uh, Joe, will New England be joining them there? Only if MLS expands to uh, to 10 or 11. I don't remember where I have have them. Maybe I have them at 12th in the East? I honestly don't remember. I'll check for you. All right, thank you, Taylor. I appreciate that. Um, again, this team could be way better or they, they could struggle. Like, it's, it's so early and the trend, the first transfer window isn't even closed yet. But right now, I think there are a, a few different flaws with this group. I'll start with how they did last year, finished 12th, finished 10th, excuse me, in the East with 42 points. They missed the playoffs. That came just one year after winning their first shield and setting a points record in, in 2021. So, I mean, and not just a Revs points record, by the way, an MLS points record. A big reason for that came down to Matt Turner and came down to Adam Buxa and came down to Tejon Buchanan. They were a big part of that success and also a big reason why the team struggled last year because they're all gone. The New England Revolution sold them all combined for, I think, reported 20-some-odd million dollars. New England couldn't really recover from that. They did sign Georgi Petrovic midway through the last uh, last season, which was massive for them. I'll, I'll talk more about him in just a second. In terms of roster moves... They didn't really lose much over the offseason. They lost those stars that I just mentioned, like over the last calendar year or so. So those are kind of the outgoing moves that are still hurting this team. In terms of the incomings, a few different intra-MLS moves. Dave Romney at center back, Latif Blessing in central midfield. And then Bobby Wood is a, is a name that U.S. men's national team fans will know. They also signed Giacomo Veroni, who is, I think, one of the strongest names in Major oh, League Soccer. Good. It's really good, right? Giacomo Veroni. They signed him midway through last season, towards the end of the year, if I remember correctly, as an Adam Buxa replacement, uh, but, you know, only played 250 minutes. So, kind of fits sure like a new signing. i that's one of the names from Inglorious, like in, the, the Tarantino film that they say, you know, Dominate the Coco. What was it, what was it Joe? <laughs> Giacomo Veroni. I feel like there's, yes. you gotta, you like shake See? your hands Italian style when you do it. I'm sure Italian, I, I'm, I'm like mostly Italian, so I feel like I can do that and be fine. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of coach and style, Bruce Arena is the manager. Uh, he's flexible, not too hands-on from what I can tell, likely a back four, but maybe we'll see some back three. Carles Hill is the playmaker, the fullbacks or the wingbacks are going to get forward. Matt Polster is going to clean up things in midfield. Latif Blessing is going to sort of roam and, and destroy and do Latif Blessing things. Key players, Georgi Petrovic, I mentioned him, came in and had the best numbers in MLS history on the shot-stopping side last year. He was absolutely phenomenal. The best goalkeeper that MLS has ever seen. If he can continue to do this again, he he will get the revs into the playoffs because they won't be, they you know, other teams really won't be able to score on them. 
Uh, this kid is unreal. 23 years old, Manchester United. Taylor are apparently very interested in him, according mm-hmm. to reports. He is phenomenal. I, I don't know if he'll do it again this year, but I mean, the numbers loved him last year, both the underlying numbers and the, the goals against numbers. So he is he is the star of this team in every single way. Carly Seal, former MLS MVP, is one of the best 10s in the league. He's very close behind. Matt Polestar mentioned him already. And then if they can get something out of the attackers, New England, Dylan Barrero out wide, Veroni if he produces, Gustavo Bo, I mean, what can he produce is an open question right now. But if they get something out of those players that's above average, this team totally can make the playoffs. I just, I don't fully know what to expect from the attacking group. And I, I don't know if Petrovic is going to do it again to the same extent he did last year. So I did have them miss in the playoffs. But I mean, again, they have the talent because MLS is, is designed for parity and designed to spread out the talent. They absolutely have the talent to finish higher. Uh, Joe, a couple things. Uh, first of all, you had them finishing 12th. Uh, yep, so there it is. well done to you. Uh, forgive me if you said this while I was taking notes. Uh, Vrioni, what would you say is his style? Like, what, what, what are they, why would they bring him in versus another striker? Like, what do you sure. think his style is that fits the system? So we didn't see a ton of Vrioni last year, but my impression of him is that he's mostly a proper number nine. I think he gives you something in possession and, and adds maybe a little bit more dimension than Buxa, who was just like a penalty box poacher. I think Veroni still likes to exist in the box, but I mean, we're, we're really going to see a lot more of him this year. I think he's going to be the starting player up top and maybe we'll see Bo pair him when they're both available, but we're going to get a lot more data on him. But that's that's my general uh, perception of him right now. All right, and then final question. This one's a little bit of more of a deep cut. Uh, how good is Noel Buck? Who is he and why is Matt Doyle so excited about him? Yeah, Noel Buck is a U20 eligible midfielder for the Revs. I think he can play a little bit higher up too. Pretty smooth on the ball. I think he's a decent connector. I haven't seen surely as much of him as, as Doyle has or as a lot of the other folks that do a really good job tracking youth nationals on on Twitter. But yeah, he's he's really highly regarded and is probably on the the short to medium list of young Americans to watch in MLS this year. There we go. All right. Well, well answered, Joe. Thank you for ha- bringing all that knowledge. Uh, I'm going to take us to NYCFC. Uh, I have a lot of notes, but I'm going to try to be quick because I would love to have a conversation about this mm-hmm. team. Because, Joe, I think previously you said they're a team with a a, a high floor, right? Yeah, I, I think they are still, even though of a lot of the things that you're about to talk about happen yeah, in the offseason. <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. Because people seem still pretty hyped on them, and I think part of that is probably the city football group connection. Part of that is it being New York. Part of that is their history. But I'm still sort of confused by that. Uh, when last we left them, they finished third in the East. They beat Miami and Montreal in the playoffs. They lost to Philly in the conference final. Uh, and this was in a tumultuous summer that saw them lose Tate Castellanos. Uh, he sold uh, man- manager Ronnie Dyla at the part. Nick Cushing took over in June on an interim basis. He's now the permanent manager. It's his second season, as many people have pointed out when it comes to NYCFC. Uh, second season managers tend to be very strong. Patrick Vieira has a good second season. Domi Torrent, the same. Ronnie Dyla, uh, the same. The problem for me is that Nick Cushing's cupboard is looking a little bit bare. Uh, in the offseason, NYCFC lose Maxi Morales, uh, heads back to Racing Club, uh, uh, had 26 goals and 69 appearances, 69 assists, excuse me, across 162 games for New York. So, 
obviously a really important player to the attack uh, and functioning as that number 10. They lose Sean Johnson, their most capped player. Uh, he leaves in free agency for Toronto. Uh, Alex Collins, uh, the steadfast defender, defender, departs for Girona in Spain. They're a city football group club, so not that surprising. More surprising that they haven't yet replaced him. That seems like something that I think a lot of people thought would happen. Instead, right now, it's going to be uh, Tiago Martins, the DP, and then Maxime Cheneau most likely to start as their center backs. They bring in Matt Fries, who's a backup from uh, the Philadelphia Union via trade. So they do have a goalkeeper. Uh, Brian Kufre, Argentine left back on loan from Mallorca, will uh, compete on that left side with Amundsen, probably end up replacing him, probably be the starter. And Mitya Ilenich, 18-year-old <laughs> Slovenian right back, uh, they brought in to replace Anton Tinnerholm, who left for Sweden. But even with all that said, there are still some concerns in there. Yeah. Uh, Cheneau starting being one of them. Uh, Talis Magno uh, might be a better winger, and he is expected to be their starting number nine. And then that midfield is a big old... I mean, they literally, if you look at the MLS season preview, have a question mark for who will be starting where Santi Rodriguez started because he was on loan. He has not yet brought been brought back. There is still strong reporting that he will be, but yeah. right now there is nobody there. So if he's not there... Then you really have Alfredo Morales and you have Keaton Parks, and that's kind of it. You've got academy players. I think there's a 14-year-old that they could call on. I don't think they want James to do that. James Sands from the summer. He's going to be playing could be. Uh, But like even Parks missed a huge chunk of time last season due to blood clots for the second straight season. Hopefully that is resolved, but it shows you the sort of lack of depth there, that if he's gone and Santi Rodriguez isn't brought back in, they have one midfielder and a 14-year-old. Uh, there's links with them with Richie Ledesma. Uh, I think PSV wants him to extend his contract before they'll agree to anything. So right now, there's questions in my mind about the center back. They bring in Matt Fries, but I would say there's questions about the goalkeeper, questions about midfield, questions about their number nine. They've still got Andrade on one side, Gabriel Pereira on the other. Pellegrini can jump in there if need be. They have plenty of talent, don't get me wrong. It's just there are still so many question marks about this team that... I almost want to say, like, if you had the same personnel, but it was DC United as the name, I would be much yeah. more concerned. I think well, that's kind saying, of what it gonna, ends up being. I was going to make that exact point about NYCFC because they've been here before yeah. and, and they have produced good teams. They've rebuilt. And right now you look at that squad and I, I, you can't really figure out what they're going to do, both in terms of style, approach, uh, personnel. And the only thing that may, that's holding us all back from saying this is going to be a bad year is the fact that it's NYCFC. Well, and, but and, there and, are so many answers for them to provide still. And, and there are. But, I mean, the, the reason why we're holding back saying that this is going to be a bad year is, is because of City Football Group. Like, they've given us every reason to believe that they can turn this roster into one of the most talented M in MLS. I think even without the depth, which, Taylor, to your point, I think that's all really good analysis is weak right now. They don't have a lot of depth at the number nine spot. I think they've got good attacking depth still in a, in a number of different ways. I think Santi Rodriguez is going to be back, so I'm not especially concerned about that. NYCFC are, are one of you know a dozen teams in MLS that are going to not put out probably their strongest lineup on opening day just because they're still dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But the depth maybe isn't quite there yet, but the starting 11 is one of the best in MLS still. And NYCFC has over and over again produced the right depth. Unlike you know other... Big clubs in MLS, I think about the Galaxy, who have struggled to nail their big signings. NYCFC have, right? Magno, Andrade, Rodriguez, Pereira, Maxi Morales in this league. I mean, they've done it over and over again. I, I think we're going to see them add, I guess if you loop Rodriguez in here, probably at least two, maybe even three pieces before the end of the primary transfer window. So we're looking at, you know, a couple of months 
and probably sooner for a player like Rodriguez, they're going to get those deals over the line. And this team's going to sort of morph into a juggernaut. I don't think that they're probably going to be as good this year as they were last year. But I think when you're a city football group team and, and when you're NYCFC and MLS and you have the pieces they do right now, I think the floor for this team to go back to what I said earlier, it's still pretty darn high, even if there are questions to be answered. And Joe, where are you on the Keaton Parks hype train? Are you the conductor? Are you a passenger? Are you getting off and then maybe getting back on? Like, what's what's your sort of present situation? I am. I'm a passenger. I, okay. I would like to claim myself as a conductor. I remember watching with Benfica B, and yep. like this is when I was first sort yep. of getting into into this stuff and uh, clipping little moments on Twitter and putting them out. So, I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty close to the the first car, maybe the mm-hmm. first class car, but I definitely wouldn't claim myself to be the conductor. First class all the way for Joe Lowry. So it's it's basically the the reputation, the history, and the pedigree we feel like means that even if their roster construction isn't there yet, it will be it will and be. there'll be a yep. playoff team. That's what I think. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, is that the case for the Red Bulls then, uh, Graham Ruffin? So I'm pretty high on 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 the Red Bulls um, and what they might achieve in 2023. So 2022 was a, a, a typical year for the Red Bulls. They they played energy drink soccer. They press hard and fast, but they weren't able to find someone to score regular goals for them. And they finished in the playoffs in the East for the 13th straight season. Um, by this point, the the formula is pretty proven. Except the formula never works in the playoffs, and they went out in in the first round to Cincy in a and a match I seem to remember was was pretty entertaining. They might have had the leads in that game, and then since they came back to, to win 2-1. Um, there have been some changes over the offseason. Aaron Long left at the end of his contract, um, and he ultimately signed for LAFC. Caden Clark's loan deal expired as well. Uh, Patrick Lamala also left the club at the end of last season. He was a DP. He's now at Hapoel Beersheva in, in Israel. And that opened up a deep DP spot, which is uh, which which was being occupied last season by by a player who was a bit of a disappointment. Um, I could have told you that Patrick Clamalla isn't very good Red Bulls, but uh, but whatever, just give me a call next time and I'll give you that recommendation. In terms of players who have arrived over the off season, uh, the Red Bulls have a, a new attacking star called uh, Dante Van Zier. Someone that I admittedly had never heard of until I started doing this research for this episode. And now I'm his his biggest fan. And I'm convinced he's going to be top scorer. He's going to be MVP. He's joined from uh, Union San Gueloisi in in, in Belgium, where he registered 48 goals and 21 assists in 91 appearances. So that is pretty impressive. And I know the Belgian league isn't the strongest, but it's equally not the weakest. That is that is a good record to have. It seems likely he'll play through the middle for the Red Bulls, um, although he does have the ability to play on the wing. Uh, Corey Burke has also joined from the Philly Union to, to bulk up the attacking options in the squad. Elias uh, Manuel, another attacker, has signed from uh, Gremio in Brazil. And then there's Peter Stroud, who has been signed from uh, Duke. He also came through the West Ham youth system, and and there is a sense that he could be a good addition to the Red Bulls midfield unit for this season, even if he doesn't have MLS experience. Uh, Gerhard Struber is still the head coach of the New York Red Bulls, which is somewhat surprising given his comments after the Red Bulls went out of the playoffs. Last year, there were stories about him potentially heading to Europe midway through the season. He did not quash those stories at any point last season, basically talked himself up for those jobs. And then he had to go at so-called Twitter experts, as as he called them, Uh when the Red Bulls went out of the playoffs. um, And it did sort of feel like he would be on his way out. But he is still he is still there. 
Um, it was generally a 4-2-3-1 for the Red Bulls last season, and I expect it will be similar this season, although it could be something of a 4-4-2 with Van Zier and, and Manuel um, as, as a front two. The Red Bulls, in terms of their, of their approach, are everything you would expect them to be, given their name and the ownership of the club. They play hard-running, high-energy, high high-intensity soccer. They press high, they try to move the ball quickly, and they are direct in, in creating attack in moments. Uh, defensively, the Red Bulls, even after losing Aaron Long, who was a key player, they looked to be in a good place. They had the, the, the joint second-best defence in the Eastern Conference last year. In an attacking sense, though, they scored just 50 goals, and, and that was one of the poorer goals to game ratios in, in, in the East so that's where they need to be better to be a real force key players uh, naturally I'm, I'm going to mention <laughs> Lewis Morgan as my first key player for the Red Bulls he joined from Inter Miami at the start of last season he had a very good year in New York uh, where it really felt like he took another step forward in his development Morgan is now 26 but you know how you get those players that are just always young in your in your mind he will always be 23 in my mind I think part of the reason for that is it still feels like to me anyway he's maybe got another level that he can reach as good as he was last year and I, and I think with the right players around him which maybe Van Zier and, and Manoas they are going to be the right players I, I think he can do that uh, I'm also going to highlight another one of my favourites John, John Tolkien a man who has made the mullet look good again uh, and I see that it is blonde for 2023 so maybe John Tolkien saw me try that last summer and he's, and, and, and he's copied me in that sense uh, he was involved in the last US camp obviously USMNT camp uh, he has an energetic influence at left back when he gets forward if he has a good season, I think he could be the next Red Bull player to head to Europe. Uh, Lucinius is, is going to be important as well. Daniel Edelman, Edelman uh, will likely be at the base of the midfield. And then it'll be up to Andre uh, Reyes to step into the void by Aaron Long and kind of forge some sort of partnership with, with Nilas at the back. Um, I think the success or failure, in terms of expectations, I think the, the success or failure of this season for the Red Bulls will depend a lot on whether or not Van Zier is legit. It was so clear last season that they were missing a centre-forward who can score 15 goals in a season. Klamala obviously wasn't that player. Lewis Morgan, I think, overperformed slightly in terms of his goal contribution. I don't know if he'll do that again this season. So if he is legit, you could end up with a scenario where the Red Bulls have one of the best attacks in the East with Van Zier also getting the best out of Morgan and, and Lucinius as, as kind of that unit. Um, if that happens, that is the focal point for this whole Red Bull system to work. And yeah, I think I, I am pretty bullish on the Red Bulls this season. I think they're ah. going to have a, a, a good season. Bullish on the Red Bulls, Graham. That's well done. Yeah. I, I like the Red Bulls as well. <laughs> yeah, I, think I, mean, they're, I think they're a playoff team for almost as as for sure as you can get in Major League Soccer. I like a lot of the additions they made. I agree with you, Graham. A lot of this rests on, on Venzier. Venzier, I'm not entirely sure which way we're going with that one, but... Uh, I don't. I don't love Lucinius. I think he's pretty overrated. And so, if you can get something out of him, you can get a lot out of the new signing. You can get a decent amount out of Morgan, and then some. You know, ten goals out of Manuel. I mean, this this attack could be much improved on last season. Uh, Joe, if it is improved last season, does that mean you won't get yelled at by Gerhard Struber on Twitter? I don't know, man. I'm not, I don't, I forgot those comments even happened. I, you lo if you lose, are you allowed to like, I don't understand, I don't understand any of it. It doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. You were already seeing the, the team social media accounts go ahead and like, you know, prep the, the predictions yeah. on MLSsoccer.com, dropping them in a folder on their desktop to bring them back later on. 
Um, I guess just bring it on. We got to do this. It's fun. Bring it on. Of course. I still just wanted to go the other way. I've said that before. I'll say it again. I think that if if you predict a team to finish 12th and then they make the playoffs and they and they gloat, I think it should go the other way. And if you predicted a team to finish third and they finish 13th, that they should also be like, in your face, Joe. Like, <laughs> you were way wrong on that you one, too. You were so wrong. You're, yeah. yeah. yeah we were so much worse than you thought we were going to be. <laughs> that's the takeaway from this one. Uh, Joe, I, I've... I think the last time we talked about MLS, we did our MLS catch-up show, uh, I was pretty hyped on Orlando. I think you were even more hyped on Orlando. You're previewing them now. I'm hoping that hype remains. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this team. A lot of unknowns for this group and a lot of players that could hit really, really big or could leave Orlando open to disappointment. So they finished 7th in the East last year on 48 points. Just made the playoffs and lose to Montreal in the first round. They won the U.S. Open Cup, which was their, their biggest accomplishment. That got them into CCL this year. So I'm, I'm excited to see them there. But in general, it was kind of a, a mixed bag. If you set the cup competitions aside, it was kind of a meh season for them. But the offseason has been incredibly busy. So outgoings, both the starting fullbacks are gone. Juan's uh, off to D.C. And John Moutinho's over in Serie A at this point. So they have two holes there that they've, they've worked on filling this offseason. Starting central midfielder is gone. Junior Urso went back to Brazil. And midfield and attacking depth really has left the team. Andres Perea went to Philly. He'll be somewhere in that diamond as a rotation piece for Jim Curtin. And then most of their backup wingers are gone. So the way they've started to replace those players, Martino Heda, 24-year-old winger from Argentina. He's a DP, played for Godoy Cruz. 18 goals and 12 assists over his last two seasons. Good, but not great numbers for Ojeda. So I, I don't know if he's going to dominate this league, but I think Orlando certainly believe he will, and, and we'll see if that happens or not. He's the big one here. He'll be a key player in the attack, and they, they definitely need him to be. Ramiro Enrique, another attacker from Argentina, gives them good depth up front. Luca Petrasso from Toronto FC coming in on the left side of defense. Rafael Santos as well, an international signing, and they've added depth in a, a number of other spots too because they, they desperately needed to. In terms of the coach, Oscar Pereja is the manager. This will be his fourth season in Orlando. We're probably looking at a 4-2-3-1 for the most part, but there have been rumblings of a back three. We could see that here and there, uh, and, and generally they'll be fluid and change shape in different moments and, and build up in possession. Key players, Facundo Torres, young Uruguayan winger, nine goals, eight assists last year. It was a decent season. Uh, he's He was touted mostly by, by Orlando and, and some folks that, that had talked with their front office as like one of the best prospects coming out of South America, period. Uh, we didn't really see that last year. You can see he's an incredibly talented player, but I mean, at, at 22 now, and Torres is 22, this kind of has to be his breakout season. There have been these crazy transfer rumors about him going to Arsenal. I don't think there was ever really anything to that, but I mean, this, this kid is very highly regarded and his name is known in a lot of different leagues around the world, particularly in Europe. If he wants to make that jump, and, and he does, this is the year he's got to go, you know, pretty close to supernova and maybe be an MVP caliber kind of talent. So my eyes are on him. Ojeda as well. Robin Janssen in the back is one of the best defenders in the entire league. 31 year old Swede. And then you're looking at, at Erkan Kara up top and a few other players in the field as well. I have them seventh in the East. Uh, I think the talent is there for them to be higher. If Ojeda and Torres don't hit, I think they are going to be lower than seventh. So I think Orlando City fans should be pulling pretty darn hard for those two wingers from South America. So is that is that pretty much it? There's no other pieces necessarily that need to be added. It's just those pieces that they already have need to reach the levels that we expect from them? I, I think they've kind of done most of their work already. They're, they're going young at right back. They're going the academy route there. They've added a couple of, of central midfielders, but mostly as depth pieces. 
and they've pretty much built out the attack with with a lot of different depth. So I I think they're mostly done for now, Taylor. Maybe we see one or two other signings throughout the year as injuries pop up, but this looks like the squad to me. All right, I I have the same notes as you do on Ojeda. Uh, checking back from last we discussed him, of like he seems okay. I don't know if he was quite at the level that I expected with all that hype coming in, but I look forward to watching them and eating those words because uh, by all accounts he is a really exciting player. I'm excited for Torres now, Joey. You set the table there really well. I'm excited for Orlando. They're they're a team now similar to what I was talking about with Montreal, where like. Having the narrative and a little bit of understanding really helps me get even more excited about the season uh, for each and every team. So uh, well done to you, my friend. Anything else on Orlando from either of you? That's all I got for now. All right. Well, then. Disney World's good. (laughs) Uh, Graham's on record. Thank you for that, Graham. Let's talk (laughs) the Philadelphia Union. Uh, when last we saw them, they were very good, but maybe not quite good enough in the end. They topped the East. They conceded only 26 goals. That was the fewest in the entire league. They scored 72. That was the most in the entire league, but they did not get the supporter shield because they didn't have as many wins as LAFC. Um, and then they go on to lose MLS Cup. Uh, but they remain pretty, pretty strong. Looking at the departures for a moment, there will be a pattern. Uh, they've lost three names I think worth highlighting. Paxton Aronson, highly rated, only got two starts last season because he was behind Daniel Gazdag, who was very good. Corey Burke, uh, Graham mentioned him. Uh, he was a backup, seven goals and five assists in 1,100 minutes. But again, he was a backup there. And then Matt Fries, the backup to Andre Blake. And so when you look at the departures, it's basically a backup, a backup, and a backup. And their arrivals, you also get a pattern of uh, basically depth and experience, but depth. Uh, Andres Perea, Joe mentioned him just a second ago, 22-year-old U.S. international. He got that one cap. He can play as a yeah, 6 or an 8. And as you said, Joe, yeah, I think he'll be a depth option in that midfield. Damian Lowe, they spent some money to bring in. He gives them center back depth in, via trade from Miami, uh, but also could allow them to play in a back three. That's something they've done a little bit in preseason, so he gives them depth but also variety. And then Joaquin Torres, who I mentioned previously, comes in from Montreal. And again, it's just a wild thing that Montreal definitely could have used him, but Philly were willing to spend, and so now he plays for Philly. Uh, the comparison I, I, have, I have consistently seen is with Il Signo, uh, back when he was with Philly, that uh, with Joaquin Torres, you have a player who will take people on, who will be the number 10, who can play wide, but like will try to be the individual who unlocks defenses. From the uh, clips I saw of him, I did a lot of uh, Joaquin Torres watching. He seems like a player who is very good and not quite at that top tier level in that for every take on I saw that he schools somebody, there are two where he kind of has a heavy touch and then sometimes makes up for it and sometimes loses the ball. So I think with a little bit of uh, refinement under Jim Curtin, I think he will be a better performer. But I think this union team, they're just really, really strong. Uh, they've got depth. They've got, like, I, I think I think it was like Doyle's uh, preview where he was like, their big weakness is that they don't have a backup number nine now that Corey Burke is gone. And, like, they do have options there. But I just think, compared to some of the other teams we've talked about and the vulnerabilities they have, I think, like, ah, oh, we have some questions about who their reserve striker will be. Uh, but they've got Ure, they've got uh, Carranza, they've got Gazdag behind them, Leon Flock's still there, uh, Alejandro Bedoya, Jose Martinez will be that sort of midfield four, and then Kai Wagner and Mbizo with Glasness and Elliott, and then Damian Lowe uh, being able to deputize or uh, change if they want to go to the back three, and then Andre Blake in goal as ever. 
I would expect very big things from Philly. I have them topping the East. Joe, yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah, they're on paper and based off of what we saw last year. And this is a very similar team, as you've said, at least in the, the top tier guys, this is the best team in the East. And I don't know that it's all that close. Uh, Graham, any Philadelphia TV shows you want to talk about? Uh, the obvious one. I quite enjoy that one. Yeah. <laughs> You're a fan, Taylor, I believe. I am indeed. How many seasons are you up to, Graham? I feel like you haven't watched in a while. Uh, I've not watched the latest one, whatever that is. But I think I've only got one season to go. They've, until I'm ca- caught up. But they are going to do a Scottish live show, and oh, I'm going to try and get tickets to you that. Should. So, you should. You should. Yeah. I think Always Sunny has done, they've definitely done Eagles games, or like episodes set around Eagles, and the Phillies, and I think one Flyers game. I don't think they've been to a Sixers game. I don't think they've been to a Union game. So I hope in season 15, I think we're about to be in, we get the gang goes to a Philadelphia Union game. I don't know. Oh, what, yeah. I don't know what would happen, but I know it would be chaos. Uh, and that would be fun for me as well. Uh, Joe, the only other wrinkle I had was if Jim Curtin gets an offer midseason to become U.S. national team coach or uh, a job in Europe somewhere. Maybe that's a bit of a disruptive force, but I don't know how likely any of that is. Just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a 0% chance at the very yeah. least with the national team side, I think. So, yeah, that's, that's a, I hadn't even thought about that, Taylor, from the MLS perspective. That is a, a great shout. All right. Well, we've, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Hopefully, Jim Curtin stays. Uh, hopefully, Philly uh, get a title. If you're from Philly, I'm guessing you'd agree. If you're not, then I'm guessing you would disagree. Uh, a team that we would expect will uh, run them pretty close and have a pretty strong season, a pretty strong rebound season, I should emphasize, would be Toronto, mm. our final team in the Eastern Conference. Graham, tell us all about them. So rebound is the key word here for Toronto because 2022 was a rough year for them. So they finished second bottom of the Eastern Conference and it turned out that waiting until the summer for the new expensive Serie A additions to to fix everything maybe wasn't the best of plans ultimately. Um, The caveat is that this was the start of a pretty comprehensive rebuild by TFC. But when you hire Bob Bradley and spend a record amount of money on one of the best players in Serie A, expectations are naturally higher. And I think it's fair to say that TFC did not meet those higher expectations last season. Uh, there have been there has been some movement over the offseason. Uh, Domenico Crescetto has, has, has left. Uh, he only arrived last summer before retiring at the end of the MLS season and then signing for Genoa a few weeks later. So that was fun. Uh, Alex Bono already mentioned him. He has gone. Chris Mavinga also gone. He signed for the LA Galaxy. In terms of new additions, I'd say TFC have made two key new signings and both of them are defensive minded defensive focus which isn't a bad thing considering how last year went so Sean Johnson has arrived from NYCFC that's obviously a significant signing given that he's one of the best keepers in the league and has been for some time Matt Hedges has also been signed from FC Dallas and he should be a new defensive anchor defensive leader for a Toronto team that desperately needs someone like him at the back, and then another notable new addition is uh, Sigurd Rosted, who is a, a Norwegian international centre-back who has uh, come from Bronby. So you can pretty much see the spine, of, uh, the, the new defensive spine of this TFC team in those new additions. As I mentioned at the top of the preview, Bob Bradley is a TFC head coach. Um, his appointment last year was seen as a bit of a statement of, a ten, of intent. Uh, last season didn't really go to plan. So similar to what I've already said about Ezra Hendrickson and Wayne Rooney, it was sometimes difficult to see what he was trying to do 
on the pitch because things weren't really going that well. But at one stage of the season, they were playing something close to a 4-4-2. And the idea was that once Insignia and Bernadeschi arrived, it would merge into a 4-3-3, which is obviously what he had great success with uh, at LAFC. Um, speaking broadly, from what we know about Bob Bradley, he, he wants TFC to be on the front foot. He wants them to be possession heavy um, and he wants them to use the ball to, to, to essentially dictate the game. Key players, uh, Lorenzo Insigne, he was a landmark signing, not just for Toronto last year, but for MLS as, as, as a whole, a record-breaking signing in terms of his, his salary. In a sense, he's kind of been underwhelming in MLS so far, but I think a lot of that has been down to the team he's playing for rather than his own individual performance. He's actually registered six goals and two assists in 11 games, um, which is pretty decent. The reason why I say it's been underwhelming is obviously because when Insigne arrived, I think everyone thought... TFC were going to do the sort of Seattle Sounders thing and go in this massive second half of the season run and that didn't really materialise. Um, so he'll he'll play on the left side of the, the Toronto attack this season. Um, for all the excitement about Insignia, it was actually, I thought, Bernadeschi who made the, the biggest impact for Toronto after he arrived in the summer. He scored eight goals and uh, got two assists in 13 games last season. He'll play on the right side. Um, and if he can pick up where he left off at the end of last season, I think he'll be one of the best players in the league again. And then my third key player, I've already mentioned him, but I can't get away from the sense that Sean Johnson could be a transformational signing for Toronto. Um, even if they don't get it right in terms of building that new defensive line, I think just having Sean Johnson there to be one of the best goalkeepers in MLS is going to be, that's going to make a big difference. Um, so I think the general consensus is that there will be an improvement from Toronto in 2023, if purely because they won't just concede the first half of the season like they did in 2022. Beyond that, I don't really know how to make a prediction on what their what their ceiling is. I think they can potentially be a good team. I mean, a team that has Bernadeschi and Insignia in there has to have a pretty high ceiling. But I think there are still some answers to be found on the approach of this team, the chemistry, obviously, where things have been thrown to vic- thrown together very quickly. One area I think they could still afford to improve and rejuvenate is is that midfield. Um, where they still have, you know, Jonathan Asario and, and, and Michael Bradley in there. That is, that is becoming a, a little bit old, I would say. So maybe if they were able to find that player in the summer, that could be the, the difference between finishing strongly in the playoffs, but the difference between that and maybe being one of the contenders in Eastern Conference to, 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 to win the, the conference title. Yeah, a 35-year-old and a 30-year-old is the, is the oldest ages that Joe can imagine, I believe. <laughs> yes, correct. It, it doesn't go higher than that, does it? I didn't. I didn't think it did. The average oh, age. The average age of Toronto's starting midfield is thirty-one. So they're old. They just added Brendan Cervagna to that uh, group from FC Dallas, twenty-three-year-old. That helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, Graham, to your point, they kind of still need a little bit of a, a refresh in center midfield. I'm not sure that's going to come this year. I think that that might come next year. But yeah, the ceiling of this team is super high. I think the ceiling of this team is top of the the Eastern Conference. It just also happens that, that their floor is missing the playoffs like they did last year. So it's going to be a wild ride for Toronto this year. I am fully ready to buckle up and, and just uh, enjoy it. Do either of you have any expectations, positive, negative, or even neutral for Michael Bradley this season? 35 years old, playing for his dad, but like his game has never been about elite speed. So it's not like he's losing that. Uh, that's not really a thing he's ever had. He seems to keep himself in pretty good shape. Seems like he can kind of function at the level he's been at for a while. But at the same time, I'm not sure that level is necessarily going to be good enough. So do either of you have thoughts on Bradley this season? I think he's going to be really good on the ball like he was last year. If I remember correctly, I think he was one of the best 
in terms of the numbers passing defensive midfielders in all of MLS, the hope for Bradley this year is that he doesn't get dusted in transition so much because Toronto will control the ball better, right? Because they have better center backs in terms of distribution. They have Insigne and Bernadeschi in for the whole season. They have built the midfield platform a, a little bit more with some depth there. Like the hope is that the pieces fit together more. So Bradley's not having to run back and forth so much because in, in transition, he's, he's going to get, he's going to get dusted over and over again. So he, he will have those moments, but for Toronto, it's all about control and how they can control the game and how they can provide uh, protection around yeah. Bradley, both in terms of personnel and in terms of style. Absolutely agreed. I think if if Toronto have the right structure around him with Asario and and uh, Mark Anthony K as 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 well, then he gets that protection that his weakness in transition or defending against transition isn't really exposed. But if he doesn't have that structure, then he becomes a big problem. He is he is still good in the ball. I still think when Toronto are controlling games, he's still one of the best in the league at performing that role. So it's kind of on a knife edge to me. I know that's sitting on the fence. But uh, it could go either way. He could be a very important part of this team or, or he could become a problem that they need to solve. Joe, who are the two or three teams you are the most confident in in the East? It sounds like Philly definitely up there. Philly, Cincinnati, which is still a little bit weird to say. Yeah. And then I, I think the two New York teams still, I don't think either one has... I don't think the Red Bulls are, are quite there on the talent side as much as Philly and Cincy. And New York City certainly aren't there right now, but we already talked about the fact that they, they could get there. And do we think any candidates for the wooden spoon in the Eastern Conference? It sounds like D.C. and Chicago. Chicago could be in that conversation. Yeah, D.C. and Chicago both. Charlotte maybe just ab- above that. People are people. Charlotte people are really angry at me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm just I'm just not there. That's yet on just that right. Either. So yeah, I, it's just Ryan's burners. That's I it mean, it, first of all, it is. <laughs> Second of all, I, I think a lot of that has to do. Like I I won't go too long on this because we've gone plenty long. But I just want to emphasize again that Kopetti. There's just so much hype around him and so much of the coverage is they brought in this number nine, they brought in a goal right. scorer, he's going to put him in the back of the net, that's going to electrify the wingers, that's going to create more in the midfield. And just, again, watching him, put it this way, uh, when you go to Y Scout and I did the whole like cu- customized uh, highlight reel, I did goals, I did assists, I did, I did attacking actions, I did off-ball movement, uh, I did 1v1 take-ons and all that. And there was a lot of back-to-goal hold-up play, a lot of passing, a lot of drawing fouls, not a ton of goals being scored. And I think that if you don't have him scoring a ton of goals, I think he'll still be a good player for them. But suddenly that offense looks as stagnant as it did last season. I think other teams will improve. So, Joe, I understand your skepticism about Charlotte, but yes, I did see a lot of consternation about the disparity in the, in the predictions for what Charlotte's season will be. Yep, yep. I mean, and this is the joy of Major League Soccer, right? Yep. Is that it's very hard to tell who's going to be good. We think there's a few teams that are, are definitely going to be good. Others could be good. They could be bad. And other teams we think are going to be bad. And then they probably will be bad. So I don't know. The, there's a lot of them. And we'll do this whole darn thing again tomorrow. There we go. We will do this whole darn thing again tomorrow for the Western Conference. Uh, for now, it's important to say that Chili's is an overrated restaurant, just so we can make sure to annoy Ryan as much as possible on this one. Uh, Graham Ruffin, thank you so much for helping preview the Eastern Conference. I look forward to chatting you tomorrow about the Western Conference. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. And a reminder, uh, Starbucks coffee is also very bad. (laughs) Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you for talking about the Eastern Conference. I look forward to talking with you about the Western Conference. Anything you'd like to say that will annoy Ryan Bailey? Well, it's just I think Chili's is properly rated by everyone except Ryan. Like, I think Ryan's the only one who overrated. Everyone knows what Chili's is. Like, we all understand Ryan's the only one that's rowing in the opposite direction. So that's kind of all I got. 
Uh, and Milton Keynes, a lovely place to visit this time of year. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Join us on the Patreon. We're going to be doing some specific predicting for the Eastern Conference. Uh, we look forward to seeing you over there. For now, we'll talk to you soon.